Well, good morning. I uh, trust that each of you are like, yes, that was the text I was wanting this morning. That's exactly where I thought and hoped we were going. Uh, if this is your first time here, hold on. Just hold on. My name is Chad. Before we dive into this text, let me just tell you, uh, I think Wednesday night is going to be a celebration and a party. It's a beautiful time. It's less meeting. I know it says members meeting on there, but it, it is, it's actually a joy-filled time of family coming together, the family of God coming together. And then what we get to do is obviously install deacons for the very first time in the life of Frontline here in Yukon. Uh, but what that is, is really us bringing these people before you, telling you, these people are awesome and we love them for so many reasons. Here they are, church, and you've seen them serving. They have blessed you again and again. It's a celebration of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God promises to do in the future. And so I encourage every one of you to be here for that. It is going to be a joy and a celebration for us. And then the park is like, man, we, we're going to have a shorter service for the 11 a.m. It's like, man, this might be hard for you to be there at the nine. Be there at the nine. We're going to have a party. It's going to be a blast and we're going to have a great time. And so I know it's a holiday weekend, but please, please, please think about joining us out there, not just because we love to have a good party and we love to have a time together, but for our neighbors and for the city, just as we're doing. If Again, like I said, if this is your first time, maybe you're thinking like, this is the text that we're preaching. Maybe you've been here a hundred times and you're thinking, this is the text that we're preaching through here. Like, yeah, I get it. This is, this is what we're doing. And just let me give you a bit of backstory. Since Easter, we have been in 12 through 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Before that, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, but these three chapters are directly around the gifts of the Spirit, these gifts that God has given us. And again and again, he says, earnestly desire these gifts, uh, pursue these gifts. 12 through 14 are all about that. And that's what this chapter is about as well. We've, we've tackled this through 11 sermons, 11 sermons since Easter. We've walked through this. What, we've, we've talked, what are the gifts? What are we talking about? What, what is miraculous? What, what does that mean? Do they continue today? What are they for? How are we to approach them individually? How are we supposed to approach them individually? And now in chapter 14, we're talking like, how do we practice them when gathered as the bride of Christ? And we just see again and again that, that call, that really clear, just actually statement from Paul, pursue the gifts brought by the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus, and from the heart of, a, of our perfect heavenly Father. That's the context in which we step into it. And I bring all that up because like, we come to passages, we come to uh, parts of Scripture that if we, if we just read it in isolation, it is inflammatory. If all we have is like a meme-length hot take on, on some of these words, it is offensive. It is, it is like every bit of like 
what is going on? This makes no sense for our day or our moment. And, and here's some of the ways people approach it. They, they'll ignore it. Or I've known people who said, I like Jesus, I hate Paul. Because of words like these. And, and I want you to know, like, we're not ignoring it. We're not ignoring it. We're not just dismissing it. We're, we're trying to apply the words of Scripture in context and in, in, in our moment. We're not trying to change anything at all. And, and I want you to see today that the words in context are actually life-giving and not restraining. It builds people up, particularly our ladies, and it isn't demeaning or, or withholding anything. The wholeness of God is on offer to each of us. So here's how we're going to do it. There's a call in this text to build, and that begs the question, like, build what? And there's a call in this text to clarity, to clarity. And, man, I'm praying that I would be clear because we've got to ask ourselves, like, what is supposed to be clear here? What is clear? A clarity as opposed to what? And then there's a call to pursuit. And we've got to be really clear. We've got to, we've got to answer the question of what are we supposed to be pursuing? And so I want to ask you to pray I want to pray right here as we start out. And, and I'm just going to pray what we, what we prayed before. God, like, like all that we would want would be him. And if, we, if I were to be honest, I'm going to try to be honest in this moment right here with you. Like when I sing that song that they just let us through, like I, I always sing it like all I want to want, God, is you. All I want to want is you. And I think that that's something maybe for us as we talk about gifts today as well. Father, we need you so bad. I forget that often. I, for, I, I think I'm not desperate. I think I can make it on my own. I think I know uh, where to find buried treasure or how to win the lottery. And yet you have offered the abundance of heaven and the fullness of God to each one of us. And so God, help us this morning, not just to go through the motions of another religious service. Help us, God, that all we would want is you. All we want is you. Help us to see your word clearly. Do what only you can do is just penetrate our hearts, our, our soul, bone and marrow with your word that is living and active. Bring life. Bring your gifts today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in chapter 14. I want you to pick up with me in verse 26. Verse 26 says this. What then, brothers? Again, that tells you that it came with everything before. What then, brothers? When you come together, when you come together, like we've, we've got this, like what are we supposed to do with these gifts? Like what then is Paul's, like, so what are we supposed to do with this? Paul's direct, like what is the importance of this and how are we to do it? When you come together, he puts it in context. This is for the gathered church. When, when believers come together, what is that supposed to look like? He says each one, put a pin right there, each one has a hymn, 
a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. I don't think that's an exhaustive list, but he's giving us some things. Here's where we need to have that, and we need to make sure and see each one. Each one has this. Let all things be done for building up. Well, each one lets us know this right here. And it's for the building up of all this. But it's like, think of it like a potluck. Think of it, think of it as something like a potluck. Paul pictures each one of us bringing something to this feast together. He doesn't picture it a performance of a couple of people saying, hey, here's my gift, here's my gift. Come and be dazzled by it. Like, that's not how Paul sets this up. That's why he talks about the body, the body of Christ, and each person, each person having these things. Uh, each one is bringing something to the spirit Spirit is doing in your life. Each one has something to give. And listen, full disclosure, potlucks kind of freak me out. I'm kind of grossed out by potlucks. And so you're like, wait, how does this work? How does this, how does this work when everyone's supposed to bring something? Uh, how does this work? I don't know about that person's, how they make their potato salad or any of those types of things. I don't know all of those pieces. Well, think about it as a meal. Like we're here not just to have an experience, not just to have a performance, but to be participants in something much bigger than us much bigger than just what we can see, much bigger than that. And think of it like a meal, okay? So all illustrations fall short at some point, but think about it like a meal, what a good meal is. And most good meals I've been to uh, don't have uh, 100 people participating in the kitchen. Most good meals don't have that. And in fact, like so many of the meals that I, would, that I remember in my head, like that was a great night together or that was a great meal together. So many like aren't dependent on how good the food is even like that. Like what makes a good meal? When I think about our house, it's usually not all five of us are around in the kitchen. It's often my wife is a good cook and she's thoughtful on these things and she has something. But what makes the meal isn't, well, man, that's my favorite food or not. What makes the meal is when each one of us is actually bringing ourselves. And sometimes that's in conversation. Uh, oftentimes that's in conversation, but you're bringing yourself. And sometimes that's quiet because we're carrying something, but we're bringing it. What makes a tough meal is when, when we're withholding or we're, we're having to drag everything out of somebody else. And so what makes those meals like where it actually comes together is each one participating each one participating in it. And that's what Paul's getting at. Each one participating when we come together for the building up of the whole. That's a good meal right there. It could be Hot Pockets and that's a good meal. <laughs> Let all these things be done for building up. And so what's the focus of the building up? What's the focus? It isn't just like, the building up isn't just like we would have a great church. That's, that's not it. Again, remember, all of this letter in 1 Corinthians is Paul like taking and saying, I know you think this is the biggest thing, head coverings or eating idle meat or marriage or divisions or who's the smartest or who are you following after, all these things. And Paul keeps saying, lift your gaze. There's more going on. There's more going on around you. And he, he summarizes this at the end of chapter 10. He summarizes this after talking about all this food. Again, he comes back. He's like, whatever you do, 
chapter 10, verses 31 through 33. Whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all to the glory of God. So, I think I, I, I think I stand on solid ground to say, when you gather as part of whatever you do, when the church gathers, let it all be for the glory of God. You see, we're not trying to make a big name out of Frontline. We're not trying to make a big name out of, uh, out of any of us. At some point, this church is going to go on and no one's going to remember any of us. What we want is to say, let's build up the glory of God as we gather. And see what that does. Let's see what that does. Let's see what God does. He's like, build this up. Do it all to the glory of God. At the end in verse 33, he says that, that they may be saved. That those around in a watching world, that those who would come in or those on the edges, that those around us may be saved. And so here... In context, in chapter 14, Paul's addressing the things that would rob God of his glory. He's discussing, the, he's discussing the gifts of the Spirit. It's the things that are most susceptible to confusion, uh, that have the greatest potential to tear down or tear apart. It, it, instead of building up, he's addressing those things. And so he's not addressing all the gifts here, but he is addressing two that have the potential to be the most confusing and the most damaging, which is tongues and prophecy. That's the context of what we're talking about right here. Tongues and prophecy, 27 and 28 for tongues and prophecy in 29 and 30. And so here's what it says as we read this. Here's what it says, verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. And, and let someone interpret. I need you to catch... I need you to catch these phrases. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Again, so tongues, two or three. We, we can't have everybody doing this. There's a, there's a reason for that. We need to ask ourselves, what's that reason? Let, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. The others the other prophets, those are, those are there. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. That becomes important to us. Twice it repeats, be silent in this. The reading of this can still, like, we can still wonder what is the point of all this talk? Why is Paul saying only two or three? We want each one to have something, but only two or three uh, give those words. Only two or three do this. Well, God is calling us to clarity and not confusion. He's calling us to, to a clarity and not something that leads to more questions and more confusion. God wants to bless and build up his body. And therefore, he wants his gifts to be coherent and not chaotic. He doesn't want 100 people speaking on top of each other. He doesn't want all of us just running around where one of the people from one of the restaurants would walk by and say, those people are nuts. He wants clarity and not confusion. Two or three, one at a time. There's an orderliness here to what Paul's laying out. An orderliness. God, God is orderly. He's not chaotic. But, but order is not necessarily 
God, we're talking about, we're talking about broadly for all of us, submission to God's order. All of us. Submission to God's order, not conformity to our preferences, but, but the point being like it's, it's a clarity of the message of God that he would be glorified in everything that we do, even how we interact in here, even how we interact in here. That matters to us because it, it serves no purpose to have everyone speaking and no one understanding. It doesn't help anybody in that. It doesn't lead to, to any type of clarity. And that's what, that's what was happening in the idol temples in Corinth. But the church was to be different. The church was to be a place where if you walked in, you would know the truth of Jesus. And so Paul gives order and instruction for what this is. But, but, but we've got to be really clear on this. Paul wants tongues and prophecy. He wants these gifts being practiced. He wants all the gifts of the Spirit being practiced. He, he does want the church desiring and pursuing these gifts. And, and my concern for our church is that over the last 11 weeks, we've heard that loud and clear, repeated, earnestly desire, eagerly desire these things. And yet we have little to no desire to follow after God in these matters. I'm not saying that's the case, but that is my fear. And hear this, if the, if the word of God tells us to do something or to not do something, what does it say about our hearts? What does it say about us if we ignore or defy his clear instruction? What does it say about us? So the question is, like, are you being faithful to God in pursuing his gifts? And maybe you're thinking, well, I'll get to that. There's plenty of other things God calls us to that I'm trying and I'm working on right now. It's not a tiered system that we start one and then we'll get to the rest. It's like, God, I, I want to be faithful and follow after you. Are you being faithful to God in pursuing and eagerly desiring his gifts? It's the, I, I, all I want is to want you, God. God, I, I want these gifts and I'm scared. I don't know where to start. And if I were to be honest so often, I just play it safe. And sit back. Hey, friends, it is a big deal if we're not willing to follow God where he leads. It's a big deal because it's a revealer to us. It's a revealer of more than just gifts. It's a revealer of our hearts. It's a revealer of, of faithfulness. It's a revealer of, do we really trust God? Let me, let me give you a picture. I have three daughters. I have three daughters. And I'm their dad. I come home from work and they're, they're there. And I'm bringing gifts for each of them. We have this island in our house. And I bring these gifts and I set them on the island. And, and the girls are kind of doing their thing. And I'm like, girls, I have, I have this gift for you. I have this gift for you. It's, 
it's going to bring joy to your life. It's going to be a blessing to you. And not only that, it isn't just for you. It is for you, but it's like, it isn't just for you. It's for your friends too. It's going to bless your friends. Like, it's a great gift. Imagine I bring that to them. And my girls, uh, as sweet as they are, they're like, yeah, dad, no thanks. Imagine I bring home these gifts for these girls and they're like, yeah, dad, thanks for that. Uh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Imagine I bring these gifts to them and they're like, uh, I'm really thankful, but I'm scared. And so I'm not going to open the, the bag. I'm not going to open and see what it is. I'm just going to leave them over there and say, thank you for the gifts. Thank you for your gift. And I'm just going to let it be right here. Imagine if they were like, yes, God, I th- or yes, dad, thank you so much for this gift. Thank you for it. Uh, and I, I, one day, one day I'll open up that package. Here's the deal. Like, I, I'm just a dad, man. I'm just a dad trying to do the best I can. And I'm a, a screw-up as much as anybody else in the room. I'm just trying to figure it out. But my girls know I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give them trash. I'm not going to give them something that's going to hurt them. And the reality is, is that we have a perfect father, a perfect heavenly father who said crystal clear, like, I have such good gifts for you. I have such good gifts for you. And our response is often like, no thanks. Or I'm scared. Or I'll get to it when I get to it. Or what will people think when I, when I do that? Or, or where it is. And, I, and my fear as a, as a pastor, pastor being father, my fear as your pastor is that we have people who are begging and crying out to God. Like, God, I need you to show up in my life. And God has shown up. And he's here offering you these gifts. And we're sitting on our hands. It matters because it reveals not only our hearts, it reveals our trust, it reveals all the ways in which we're walking with God. And the question that I would ask you is, do you believe God when he tells you that his blessing, his joy, life is found through his spirit? It's found right through these things that he has for you. Do you believe that? Are you longing for God to show up in your life yet refusing to open his gift that he has for you? Refusing to to run to his goodness. Now let's see where this text takes us because it's not just this like scenic turnout. Paul hasn't just started talking about something random. He he hasn't just decided that he's going to go on some diatribe against ladies. It's not what's happening here. In context, we actually see, let's see what the word of God says. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. 34, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak 
in church. And the question that, that, that comes probably to each of us is like, what are we to make of something that seems so out of touch with our world today? What are we supposed to make of that? How, do we, how are we supposed to interact in it? And to, to be clear, let me be clear on a couple things. I wish Paul had given the director's commentary right here and gone into much more explanation. Sound fair? Don't we all wish that Paul had like, uh, like, hey, let me give you 30 pages right here on explaining how this works out and why it works out. But there's no shortage of places in the Bible where I'm like, God, would you explain yourself? Would you tell me how the beginning is going to fit with the end? Would you tell me how in this moment that's going to work together? I imagine Abraham, when God says, take off, Abraham, I'm going to do this in your life. I imagine Abraham's hand shot up and he's like, I have a few questions about this. And had God sat down with him and he said, okay, I'll explain it all to you. Abraham's brain would have exploded. And so there's no shortage of spots in the Bible in which I wish there was more commentary. I wish there was more explanation. But we have everything that we need right here to follow after God. And Paul, in context, is addressing a particular silence. A particular silence, a particular thing. Paul's making specific statements about how women are to participate in the weighing of public prophetic words. He's, He's not making general statements about how women are to participate in the worship of the church. The concern and the confusion that we feel is Understandable, because in 11, in, in chapter 11, Paul assumes women can pray and prophesy in the church. And even right here, he's like, all of us are participating in this. That's true. And now he says that women should keep silent in the church. And there's a part of me that's even like, even though I've studied this, even though I've read and read and read and sat in this, they're still like, which is it, Paul? And some people are like, well, let's just ignore it. Or let's not read Paul. And other people are like, well, Paul, did, Paul must not have written this. Or, or some people would say, like, oh, Paul just changed his mind. And all of that's rubbish. Paul is telling us exactly how this plays out in terms of prophecy. And that's consistent with the rest of Scripture in terms of, uh, of head coverings, in terms of authority, in terms of submitting to authority. This isn't about competency. This is about image-bearing to the glory of God and authority. So I want to I give you a quote as we unpack this. This is from Kathy Keller. She is a fantastic thinker. She is a, a lady who has written on this and probably helped uh, so many on it in her fantastic work, Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. It's, it's just worth your time. It's a great short read, and she is smart. She's not the authority also. It's the word of God that is the authority, but she helps us frame up what we're reading. The charge of misogyny against Paul is unsupported even by a casual reading of the New Testament. He worked alongside women, deputized them to carry his letters, established house churches in their homes, and expected them to be full participants in the body of Christ with the gifts of the Spirit. Sadly, Many people do not take the time to make even a a casual study of the words and deeds of Paul. So this charge, so easily disproven, lives on among the biblically less literate. 
I'm thankful for this because it, it summarizes so much of Paul's works, so much of Paul's words. It helps us to see that if all we do is take the meme of this, if all we take is the snapshot, that we're going to miss the point because Paul is consistent in how he's calling this. Paul's direction for women here follows the pattern of the other two previous commands for silence. It follows that pattern. In both of those instances, it would be assumed that women were participating in tongues and in prophecy. It would be assumed that in both of those instances, the direction to be silent is highly specific. It wasn't always the case, but it was highly specific. And so also the command for women to be silent must be understood in context. Now, Kathy Keller gives us a quote that's helpful for us to understand Paul broadly. Paul wrote a lot of letters to a lot of churches in a lot of places. They're helpful, but it helps us understand the, the whole of Paul's thinking. Let me, let me read one from Kevin DeYoung in his work, Men and Women in the Church, because he's addressing this text specifically. Just as the command for the tongue speaker to keep silent does not forbid him from ever saying anything in church, So the command for women to be silent does not assume that in all situations, women cannot speak. The explicit situation in which women must be silent is where prophecies are being evaluated. Such an evaluation would have involved teaching in the exercise of authority over the prophets. Two activities that Paul consistently denies to women. If women have questions regarding the weighing of prophecies, they should ask their husbands at home, lest they violate the principle of submission and disgrace themselves. You see, weighing prophecy, as Paul describes it here, is work reserved for the elders. That's 1 Timothy. And what was happening in Corinth was that some women at Corinth were in the habit of interrupting their husbands while they were prophesying, while they were prophesying. Listen, my wife interrupts me all the time, and she's right a lot of times, but we're not talking about at home or when we're talking about things. Like, we're talking about prophecy here. They were interrupting, asking questions, and bringing shame on themselves. And why shame? Why does he use that word? Because the common practice in the idol temples the common practice in the idol temples is that everyone was speaking over each other. And they were endlessly asking questions. And the idol temples were wrapped in uh, a sexualized culture. They were wrapped around, often around fertility cults. And they were wrapped around this. And you had women behaving in a way in these temples in which was shameful and what we've heard in how we're supposed to behave here in the church as we gather is that we're not to confuse the watching world that we're doing anything like the idol temples and so this isn't about competency it isn't about ability it isn't about uh, intelligence it's simply about imaging the gospel for our people imaging the gospel for the watching world And here, again, in the spot in which I wish Paul gave the further director's commentary, what we have is Paul anticipating the objections. And he points to something bigger in it. Notice where he goes in verse 36. Or or was it you, like the immediate next words are, was it you, was it from you that the word of God came? That there's, Paul has these rhetorical questions. He's like, oh, should we go on sinning? And the answer is obvious, no. 
Should we just go on doing this? The answer is obvious, no. Was it you in which the word of God came? The, the obvious answer from the text to the Corinthians and to us today is, well, no, that's, it wasn't from us. He goes on, or are you the only one it has reached? Again, rhetorical question, uh, no. Not the only one it has reached. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or, or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. See, Paul's point is, with his rhetorical questions is that the gospel is bigger than Corinth. The gospel is bigger than their, their, their particular moment and what it looked like in Corinth. The gospel is bigger than their particular preferences. And he uses the next phrase, he's like, if any of you think this, he's used that again and again throughout 1 Corinthians. He'll use it in some of his other letters. If you're thinking this, you are off base. He used it in chapter 3 when we're talking about divisions. If you think this is about Apollos or Paul or anyone else, if you think it's about who's the smartest in the room, you're missing the point. He used it about marriage and divorce. If you think that it, that's the whole story of just who are you with, are you single or are you married? If you think that's the whole story of marriage, you are missing the point. And if you think that this is all about like women are being held back, you're missing the point. Paul's not trying to be antagonistic. He's trying to lift our gaze to something far bigger and more beautiful. He's trying to lift our gaze. You see, the cultural specifics in, in Corinth were of people just shouting out questions in the temple. Shouting out questions in which there would be no response of an answer. Going to the temple of Diana or to any of the other uh, temples and just shouting out endlessly questions to the oracle in which there was no answer coming back. And Paul is saying, no, this is not a spot where we're just bringing confusion. We're bringing clarity. It was also the cultural norm in Corinth that women were treated as property, as objects, as something less than males. And that too was not to be the case in the church. In fact, the reading of this text at the time would have been scandalous for the exact opposite reasons that it's scandalous to us today. It was actually putting dignity and worth and value into all image bearers of Christ, not just men. And Paul keeps valuing and saying, these ladies matter. All of them are bringing gifts to this table. All of them are participating. And so it was scandalous for the opposite reasons that it is today. The word of God speaks dignity and value, significance and gifting to ladies then and now. And friends, just like it was in, in Corinth, the gospel is bigger than Yukon. It's bigger than our cultural moment. And when we see the word in context, in its context, we see the blessing this God has for us that he wants to move in and through us. He wants to use us. He wants to see us. And he wants to bring each person in here, bless them with gifts that are for the building up of the church that others may know him, that God would be glorified and people would come to faith. God's not withholding or demeaning women. 
And yet we have to acknowledge that maybe it's these words that have led to so much confusion in your life. Maybe they've been a hard stick used against you at some point. Maybe they've been lazily applied or maliciously applied. And my prayer has been over the last couple of weeks that as we read this in context, as we sit in this, that God would open our eyes. Not just to how he views ladies, but how these gifts are there to bless all of us in our church and to build it up. That maybe some of you have felt the weight of these words before in harmful ways, in, in brutalizing ways, and that there's freedom today as we step in it. And as we end, it's like, what do we do with these words? I love how Paul gives it because he, he answers that directly in verse 39. So, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But here's where he puts parameters back on. He puts order back in. All things should be done decently and in order. So let me give you three things real quickly on how to apply this. Earnestly desire comes up again. Instead of, the first one I would say is, instead of bristling at the limits that God has given us, instead of like, well, 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 how come we can't do this? Or how come we can't do it? Instead of bristling at the limits that God has given us, recognize and embrace the order that God has called us to. That God has called us to order for a purpose. That every believer, male and female, young and old, is gifted to minister. Not ju- it's not just the pastors or the elders, but to each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. To each. Now, those are to be applied in community, together with others. We don't run out as solo projects of like, I have this gift, you can't ask me any questions. No, we do this in community, and others are speaking into my life, to your life, into our lives. When we're not doing it in community, we're off base. In community, in humility, in, in humility. And let me add a third one. With urgency eagerly pursuing these things. So instead of bristling at the limits that God has given us, like see how every good garden actually has some parameters to it. Every good garden has parameters. It's where growth and life is found. You see, spiritual gifts are designed, designed, they're given to us primarily for the building up of the body. They're, they're by their very nature, others-oriented. Expression, they're expressions of the Holy Spirit in us for, for those around us. They're not intended to be an excuse for you or for me to turn inwardly and, and just engage myself only. They're designed to move you outside, outside of yourself to serve others. The second ac- ap- I lost it. application, I almost said acclamation. The second application that I would say is instead of side-eyeing the gifts that a good father has given you, instead of side-eyeing and saying, maybe one day I'll open that, instead of just like side-eyeing with suspicion, tongues and prophecies, but the gifts in general, earnestly desire them. Earnestly desire them. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise 
prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. We, how, do, how do we go after that? Like, like We learn, we practice, we take risks, we fall, we, we press on. And so we ask, let me throw out some questions, just diagnostic questions. Like, is the person speaking in control? If they're not in control of themselves, I, I would be slow to pay attention to. The, does what the person say, says, if someone's coming to you and they're saying like, hey, I think this might be something that God's putting on my heart for you. Like, that's great. Does it submit to the Bible? Does it line up with what the word of God says? That's, that's the test everything piece in it. Does it line up with the word of God? Does it point to his glory? Does it glorify God? As, as the absolute gravitational center of all of this. If it doesn't, if it's pointing somewhere else, it is off. We're to test everything and hold fast to that, which is good. Let me give you a practical example. If someone were to come up and say, they say, thus says the Lord for you. We're going to stop that as the elders of this church. We're going to stop that in its tracks. What we, what we would say is with humility, I, I don't know, but I sense the Lord leading us here in this. And I might be off, I might not be, but I'm going to lay this out and we're going to test it. You can test it, we can do this. Is it coming in humility? Is it being there? Is it spoken in love? Does it build up the church? Is the speaker, is the person who's coming to you and saying, I don't know, but I think that I think God might have a word for you today, or I don't know who this is for, but God seems to be putting on this, putting this on my heart. Is the speaker submitted to the discernment of the leadership of, of the elders of their community? Are they are they are they under the authority? If not, I would question it deeply. And so, and so embrace the order that God has given. You earnestly desire them. And then three, instead of passively saying, thanks God for all your gifts, run after them. Run, don't walk. And that's different than earnestly desiring. It's different. Run after them. Here's how it's different because I desire all sorts of things that I don't get off my butt to go for. I desire all sorts of things in which there's not an effort made towards that. And what we're told, earnestly desire them, but go after all that God 